Speaking of which, we have finally arrived at the time of the year where we can see Christmas approaching on the horizon. And for those of you who are maybe better gift getters than I am, uh, that is a really exciting occasion. And for others of you, that seems like a deadline. It's like, okay, I need to get something now. Um, but it's, this Advent time is a strange location in our years. Because in the calendar year, Advent is sort of at the end, right? It's in November, late November, early December. Whereas in the Christian year, the liturgical year, Advent is at the beginning. It's a beginning and an ending. And this mixture of beginnings and endings is present in the Advent season. Uh, that's, in fact, uh, the sermon series, what I'm calling the sermon series for the next several weeks, is the beginning of the end. Since we're using this time of Advent to remember not only that Jesus came 2,000 years ago as a baby, but that Jesus will return once again. And we need to prepare our hearts and our minds not only for his presence in the manger all those years ago, but also for him coming to make all things new, to usher in a kingdom which will have no end. It's with that in mind that we turn to our passage this morning, which comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21, verses 25 through 36. You can follow along in your bulletins, or if you'd like to use your Red Pew Bibles, you can open to page 85 and 86 of the New Testament section. I invite you to listen now for God's word to you from the Gospel of Luke. Jesus says, There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the earth distress among nations confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, stand up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And then Jesus told his disciples a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life, and that day catch you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. So be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place, to stand before the Son of Man. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we prepare to dig into this text this morning, would you pray with me? Lord of all, thank you for your word. Send your spirit upon our hearts this morning so that we may hear and understand what you intend to say to us through your word this day. We ask all this in the name of your word made flesh, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Now, I've heard it said, and maybe you've heard this too, that the only people who like change are politicians and babies. 
And I'm not sure I agree with this. I mean, frequently politicians only claim to want change until they get your vote. And babies only want to be changed until they're on the changing table, and then they protest nonstop. But I think I disagree with this on a more profound level as well. I think we're creatures that expect a certain degree of change. We expect the changing of the seasons. We expect the rhythm of the week. We even expect the disruption that celebration and that mourning brings to us in our lives. The season of Advent is a season of change. It reminds us that God purposefully has planned to do a new thing on a regular basis. And it reminds us that that new thing is worth anticipating, is worth preparing for, is worth getting excited about to prepare ourselves to face. In our, in our passage this morning, Jesus reminds his disciples that change is on the way, and he begins to give them tools for dealing with it, for, for preparing for it. And if we just gave this reading from Luke a cursory glance, we might mistake Jesus as being one of those folks who stands on the street corner holding up a cardboard sign saying, the end is near. That's not his mission at all, though. Instead, he's reminding his disciples that just as there were prophecies and a time of anticipation prior to his arrival as a child, there is also going to be the same sort of buildup when he comes on a cloud with power and great glory. You see, God isn't frightened by the changing of the seasons, but God knows that we need time to brace ourselves. So God puts in place signs to help us anticipate and prepare for seasonal changes. And there are, there are two sorts of seasonal changes I think God prepares for us to face. They're the changes that occur in the calendar year, right? These are, these are the changes we reckon using minutes, seconds, days, weeks, months, those sorts of things. And in Greek, which was the language of commerce and arts and science at the time of Jesus, they referred to this type of timekeeping as chronos time. We know this word. We use it in words in English pretty regularly, like chronology or chronograph, if you want to be fancy and talk about a watch, right? Um, but if you've ever sat in agony, right, on your last class of the day, whether in university or in school, waiting for the last 10 minutes to tick off the clock, only to find that the seconds stretch to hours and you're like never going to get out of this class, no matter how often you look at the clock, if you've ever been in that situation, you know that not all time is created equal. Or maybe you've been with a friend and you've you know, blocked out the day to spend with them, but it only feels like you've had a couple minutes together before you see the sun setting because the time has flown past. And you know that not all minutes and seconds and hours are created equal. It's important that we have this clock time, this chronos time, but there's a lot that we miss if we only refer to time by minutes and seconds. There's a second sort of time they referred to in Jesus' day, and they called this kairos time. This is the appointed time, the right time, the time which, in the words of a theologian named Paul Tillich, the eternal breaks into the temporal. If you've ever been in a place that feels like a thin place, a place where heaven and earth seem to overlap and you get the goosebumps on your arms, you've been in a place of kairos, time, an appointed time. 
You might also have experienced Kairos time if you've been to a wedding and you know that the two people who are getting married love one another more than anything else in the world and you see the joy reflected from the tears in the bride or in the groom's eyes or or, or one of the folks who are up there and, and you just know this is right. Or maybe you've experienced Kairos time if you've been at a funeral and you know the grief on all the faces of the people around you and you know that the person who folks are mourning lived a good life. It's the right time. It's the time when something deeper is going on than just the ticking of the minutes and seconds. You've also experienced Kairos time if you've lost yourself in a book, talking with a friend, playing a game. There's an otherworldly flow to Kairos time. It takes us through currents that seem to play tricks on our conception of clock time. Some might call kairos time real time, or even God time. And this distinction between kairos time, real time, and chronos time, or clock time, this distinction matters. There are times when we encounter a changing of the seasons in clock time, right? Autumn to winter is what we're encountering right now. Winter to spring is what we anticipate with great joy when we begin to see buds form and flowers emerge. There's also times when we encounter a changing of the seasons in real time, in Kairos time. This is what the day of the Lord will be like. That's the day Jesus refers to in this gospel reading. And it's worth looking for signs in the sun, moon, stars, watching for distress upon the earth. That's how we know to anticipate the day of the Lord. That's the same sign as the flower beginning to bud as winter turns into spring, except it's a sign to recognize that there's a changing of the kairos seasons. In the same way that we don't want to be caught in the plunging temperatures without a few layers, a scarf and a hat, we also don't want the day of the Lord to catch us unexpectedly like a trap. I want to pause for a second because there has been no shortage of prophecies that the day of the Lord is right around the corner. Um, Around 1840, there was a fellow named William Miller, who you might know if you've done some studying in religious history or American history. William Miller predicted the second coming would occur in 1844. As you may know, sitting here, that didn't quite happen. Um, His followers, which had eagerly anticipated this, In 1844, in in October, I believe it was, uh, there was a day that was referred to after the fact as the Great Disappointment because they all gathered together waiting for Christ to come only to see that he didn't come. More recently, there was a fellow named Harold Camping who you may have heard of about 10 years ago. He predicted that the world would end on May 21st, 2011. This was the most recent of uh, several predictions Harold Camping put forward about the end of the world. And and it it gains significant traction with people giving large sums of money away in preparation for God coming uh, again to deliver God's people. And these are just two of a ton of different predictions that tried to nail down Kairos time and flatten it into Kronos time. Remember, Kairos is that real time, Kronos is that minute and second clock time. I think it's tempting to try and flatten God's time to fit into our calendars. 
People have tried to do this. They've tried to use Jesus' words here about how this generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. And they've tried to articulate some connection between Jesus' day of the Lord prophecy and the lifespan of those who heard him speak. But whenever we try and reduce real kairos time to the clock time that we reckon in our planners, there's so much that gets lost in translation. Because kairos time doesn't fit neatly into clock time. Kairos time has an already but not yet sort of sense to it. Where some of it has already happened, some of it will happen, and it's hard to distinguish between the two. We might be able to think of this as analogous to the lockdown time that we experienced back in March of 2020, early April of of, of 2020. There was a thickness that we felt to the time, and if you were to try to go back and reconstruct sort of what you did between March 15th and around April 8th, it might be really hard to get all of those things in order on a timeline. But looking back, the time feels thicker. It's sort of like the first days with a newborn, where the the days are long, but the weeks are short. Kairos plays tricks on our conception of clock time. And when Jesus came that first time, 2,000 years ago, Jesus changed the world forever. That was an historical event that happened in clock time. But it was also something that was otherworldly. It was happening in Kairos time as well. It, it, It happened already, but we've not yet celebrated it this year. It's an already but not yet. Something that has already happened but has not yet arrived at completion. Our redemption has already drawn near, but our redemption is not yet complete. The heavenly powers have already been shaken, but Jesus has not yet completed the shaking of heaven and earth to restore the kingdom of God here. These things have already taken place, but they've not yet been completed. And this sense of simultaneously already and not yet, it captures the paradox of Advent and the paradox of Kairos time. God has already done a new thing by sending the incarnate Jesus Christ to earth as a baby. God has not yet completed that new thing by sending Jesus Christ the conquering king to restore justice and righteousness on the earth. It's already done, but not yet complete. And this is what we have to look forward to over the next four weeks. This is the beginning of the end. We know that Jesus will ultimately conquer sin and death. And he's already even dealt sin and death a mortal strike. Jesus' appearance 2,000 years ago changed the world and Jesus is going to appear again at the right Kairos time to complete the work he began all those years ago. If you all have been watching some football, you know the importance of the fourth quarter. This is where the rubber meets the road. And we are, in a sense, in the fourth quarter right now. Christmas is near. The end is near. We don't know if it's near in clock time, but we know that it's near in Kairos time, in God time. Jesus' appearance changed the world forever, and Jesus' reappearance is going to change the world forever again when he comes again. So how can we prepare our hearts for that time? That's what Advent is all about. That's why we hang the greens to prepare for Christ's coming. That's why we deck the halls 
That's why we celebrate with nearby loved ones during this season. We remember that God is doing a new thing here on earth, that God is not done making all things new. As we prepare for the baby who has already come in the manger, we are also preparing for the conquering king who has not yet come to make all things right on earth. Remember that the end is near and that at the right time, at the kairos time, Jesus will return. And when these things begin to take place, as Jesus encourages us in this passage, stand up and raise your heads, knowing that your redemption is drawing near. May it be so. Amen.